Welcome to another inspirational message from Dave Coop, Senior Pastor of Coastal Church in Vancouver, Canada. This morning we're going to talk about the Bible and prayer. You couldn't get a more simple, basic topic than that. The whole month has been on prayer. We really don't know why. I guess the Lord will show us down the road, but we felt like March was to be a month where we'd re-emphasize the importance of prayer. In our small groups, life groups, we've been using a series by Pastor Jim Simbola from New York, Brooklyn Tabernacle there. They're an amazing praying church. We have not arrived by any means. We're a church that wants to learn how to pray, not only individually, but we want to learn how to pray more corporately. And we're stirred by other churches, whether it be in New York or whether it be in Colombia, whether it be in Brazil, Argentina, or China, other parts of the world where they're just really intent on praying. They've got a full court press to pray. And so we're saying God teaches how to pray, not just in our life groups, in our homes, families, individually, but as a church, we want to be praying. If you want to be a part of that, Saturday morning we meet here at 8 o'clock to pray, and you could come join us in prayer. We have a, an hour of prayer or so. We'd love to have you here to be a part of it. Our effectiveness of prayer is really related to God's Word. If we're not spending time meditating on the promises of God, thinking about what He's had to say, it really hinders our prayer. Without that, our prayers just kind of dribble out, and they're just words. It's just religion. There's form, but there's no power behind it. God's Word is the source of the power for our prayers. This is where the, the strength comes from as we pray. Prayer works. Prayer absolutely changes things. And yet, James said, it's a fervent, effectual prayer of the righteous that avails much. So today's message is very simply on keeping ourselves centered, rooted, thinking about, meditating on God's Word. God had said to Joshua at one point, he said, this book... Don't let it depart from your sight. Think about it day and night. Be careful to do what's written in it. Then you'll have good success. Then things are going to go well for you. I'm paraphrasing a bit. But you get the idea. We have to love this word. Read it. Think about it. Chew it. Go over it. You're on the sky train. Pull out your iPhone. And you scroll through. Maybe read the proverb of the day. You got a break at lunchtime. You head out. Sit down. And you're thinking about God's word. You put your... your, your your headphone on or your earbuds in and you're listening to God's word. You, you're thinking about different times during the day. You get up in the morning, you think about it. You go to bed at night, you think about it. Not out of religious duty, but just because you want to do it. You, you love to do it. It's not because you have to do it. Last week we made the point that if you're not praying, if you don't want to pray, I have a question for you. Did you get saved? Do you love Jesus? Because I think if you love Jesus, if you got saved, if you changed your life, it's not really like, do I have to pray? It's like, when do I get to pray? Because I'm in love with him. It's not like I have to pray. That sounds like religious duty. But when I have experienced God's love, he's changed my life, and I've become a new person. Like the Bible says, old things passed away. Everything became new. If that really happened to me, it's not like, oh, I have to go pray. It's no, I get to pray. About 34 years ago, I fell in love with my sweetheart, Cheryl, fell in love with her. We're coming up to our 33rd anniversary. We just got away for a few days and went down the States and hung out for a bit. And it was like, it's not like, oh, I have to do this. I got to get away with Cheryl. No, it's like, I can't wait to be away. Can't wait to be with her. I'd like to go on more dates with her, not less dates. Monday morning, we have a date. Every Monday morning, we go for breakfast. It's one of the highlights of our week. I can't wait to get together. We're still on our honeymoon. I don't know if that's normal, but we're still like, 
I'd call her up in the middle of the day. Can you, you want to go for lunch? You got time to go for lunch? Let's go for lunch. It's not I have to do it. It's because I want to do it. That's here, but Jesus is up here. I want to pray. I want to be with him. If I want to pray, I want to be with him, then I also want to hear what he has to say. I want to listen to him. And the power of my prayer is really related to my spending time in his word. The lesson that Pastor Jim Simbola will give in our life groups talks a lot about the connection between the power of your prayer and your time meditating in God's word. If we think our prayers will be effective and yet we spend no time honoring God, studying, spending time with him in his word, we're fooling ourselves. And it's just, again, an encouragement from God to our church. I think as much as Jesus spoke to the churches in the book of Revelation, he still speaks to churches today. And he'd be speaking to the church at Coastal. Coastal, Coastal Church, I'm stirring up prayer. I'm calling you to a deeper level of corporate prayer. I'm reminding you about prayer in your home. I'm reminding you about prayer in your personal life. I'm, I'm calling you to prayer. My house should be called a house of prayer. Today is fundamentals. If you look for the latest revelation of something or another this morning, this is not the place to be. This is 101 Christianity. This is the fundamentals of Christianity. But I think hockey teams that do fundamentals well win hockey games. Basketball teams that do fundamentals well win basketball games. And churches that do fundamentals of Christianity well, families that do the fundamentals well, individuals who do the fundamentals well, they're the ones that have victory in life. Jesus said, this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. Prayer is fundamental to the Christian life. And being rooted in God's word is fundamental to us. Michael Jordan, they said, would shoot 100 free throws every single day. He shot 84% over his life career. Steve Nash shoots about 90-some percent. But you know what those guys do? Every day they're doing the fundamentals. Every day they're doing the fundamentals. When I used to coach basketball or play basketball, our coach or when I coach, you had the teams go through the fundamentals every week, fundamentals, fundamentals, fundamentals. But when game time came, you put you in the winner's circle. In the Christian life, it's doing the fundamentals. We can't get to the place, well, you know what? I, I've studied that. I've learned that. I did that. Been there, done that. Now I'm moving on. No. Stay rooted, grounded in the fundamentals the whole way through. Paul said, I finished the course. I fought the fight. I've kept the faith. That means he kept praying and he kept himself rooted in God's word. I know it's basic, but this is the winning formula for the church today and for the our lives today. Proverbs 4, 20, 20, 22, it says, my son, give attention. You gave attention today to be here. Sometimes we say, pay attention, give attention. That speaks of investment, time, and money. It costs you time and money to be here this morning, whether it be gasoline, whether it be your transit ticket, whether it be just walking here. It costs time and effort to get here. So you're doing it. You're giving attention this morning. Give attention to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Don't let them part from your eyes. Keep them in the midst of your heart for their life to those who find them, their health to all their whole flesh. You're, this word is like a spiritual vitamin. You get up in the morning, you open the bottle, you take a couple of vitamins. Do you see something change instantly? No. But over time, you know it keeps your immune system strong. It keeps you healthy. God's word is like a vitamin that keeps you healthy, affects the power of your prayer. Mark 4, verse 20. 
Jesus talking about the different types of soil, how people accept the word. Just before verse 20, he talks about how the word sometimes gets choked out by the deceitfulness of riches, the desire for other things, the cares of this world that come along, and it chokes out the effect of the word in prayer, the effect of the word working in your life. And folks, we live in a world today where there's a lot of things we could be caring about, a lot of things we could be worrying about. There's certainly a deceitfulness of having a lot of things. Have you, have you been there? You found out that having more things didn't necessarily make you happier. The happiness wore off for a bit, but it really didn't provide lasting joy. What really provides lasting joy is this inner strength and peace that only God can give. If you haven't found it out, eventually you do. You can acquire more things, go to more places, get more stuff, but it really doesn't satisfy. What satisfies is this living bread deep on the inside of us, the Word of God. And then he goes on in verse 20, he says, but the good soil, that's who we want to be. Good soil represents those who hear, but it's not just hearing, it's hearing and accepting. If you like, circle the word accept, again, to accept something. A lot of offers coming to you today iPad gave you an offer, iPad 2. People were lined up outside the store to get that. When we were in the States this past week, there's still a line outside the Apple store, people wanting iPad 2. I walked in later when the lineup was gone. They said, do you want an iPad 2? They said, we're sold out. Come back later. Stand in line again. You might get it time and effort. Here's the offer. So there's a lot of offers coming to you, a lot of offers coming to me every day. But this offer is standing for you, and you have to hear and accept it embrace it, because you can hear it and not accept it. But if we hear and accept it, it says it produces a huge harvest, 30, 60, even 100 times as much as has been planted. God's Word has a multiplication effect in your relationships, in your finances, in your health. You embrace this Word. I don't know how it works. Our Lord said the farmer plants the seed, it lays there at night, he wakes up in the morning, it grows, he does not know how. This is a mystery. I really don't know how it all works. I just know that if I embrace God's word, pray his word, it changes things in my life. This is for sure. Anybody here this morning heard of a guy by the name of George Mueller? How many have heard of George Mueller? Quick show of hands. Okay, we got maybe 5%. George Mueller is the guy you should Google. Look him up, read him about him on Wikipedia or something. He was an amazing man of prayer. He went to England, to Bristol, England, and he saw the homeless condition, especially orphans, homeless kids. He had really no money. He had two pence, about two pennies. That's all he had. He's broke. But he says, we've got to do something about this. What he had that changed that nation's orphan problem by the time he'd finished, he'd cared for 100,000 orphans. What he had, he had the power of prayer. I'm speaking, preaching to somebody this morning. You may have only two pennies to rub together. You may not have anything in your bank account. But if you have the power of prayer, you can absolutely change things in your world, in your city, in your family. Prayer is enough to change it. That's all he's got. But this man goes to prayer, and he writes down his prayer requests. Every prayer request gets written down. He had 3,000 pages written down of his prayer requests. He recorded over 30,000 answers to prayer in his own individual life. This man was writing them down. Why would we want to do that? You know, one of the most encouraging things is when you 
write down a prayer. It gets answered. You go, wow, God answered that. Life groups will do that. Sometimes our life groups will write down prayers and answers to prayer. You know when that's really good? When you're in a hard time and you're wondering, where is God? The devil says he doesn't care about you anymore. He doesn't answer prayers anymore. And then you go, wait a minute, you are such a liar because I'm going back to my diary. He answered that prayer and he answered that prayer and he answered that prayer. And he's the same yesterday and forever. He has no favorites. So I think God's going to answer this prayer. So get out of here. 30,000 answers to prayer. Yeah, give God a hand. He answers prayer. George Mueller was writing down the answers to prayer. He didn't quit. Sometimes he felt like quitting. He had two friends that when he was a young man who didn't love God, he prayed to come to faith in God. He didn't pray for a year. He didn't pray for two years. He prayed for them for 60 years. One came to faith in Christ just before he died. The other came to faith in Christ a year after he died. He just persistently prayed. He's something like a bulldog. Prayer, you got to be a bit like a bulldog. A bulldog just doesn't let go. They said that they bred bulldogs with their nose slanted back so that they could hold on and keep breathing. And sometimes in your prayer, you just got to keep holding on. Don't let go. Keep holding on. God doesn't always answer prayer in our timetable, but if we'll go back and read His Word, we'll find out that God will come through. Our focus has to be on this, not on the problem and not on the situation. When you focus on the problem, you focus on the situation, the problem is bigger than you are. But when you focus on God's Word, you find out the problem is not bigger than God's Word. Your case is not too hard for God. And if you look at your case through God's eyes instead of your eyes, you're going to realize, wait a minute, this thing's going to move. If we're not doing that then that faith is not in our prayers, and our prayers are weak dribbles. No power, no energy flowing through them. So, back to George Mueller. Let me tell you a little bit more about George Mueller. One night, no food for his orphanage. As often was the case, he's praying, God, please, give us bread for the children tomorrow. Three o'clock in the morning, a baker disturbs him, wakes him, and says, I couldn't sleep. I had this incredible urge from the Lord to get up and bake bread. Do you need bread? I'd like to deliver bread for you. He says, yes, we need bread. Please deliver the bread. Another time, no milk. They needed milk, and they had a lot of orphans. Uh, He built big orphanages. Let me show you a picture of one of the orphanages. It's still up there today. This is one of the orphanages that he had built. One of many. He built 117 schools. He had raised millions of dollars. This was no little project. He, He really was changing the, the, the country that he was living in by the power of prayer. The man never asked for money except for the Lord. He said, God, would you please supply the needs? Here's a picture of George, just so you can put a, a, a face to the name. He's a kind, persevering, praying man. There's George. There's his school. He was praying one day for some milk, and what happened was that uh, particular day, a milk truck went by the school, broke down, Right in front of the school, the milk driver comes in and he says, my truck broke down. Would you guys, instead of the milk spoiling, would you have need of milk by any chance? They said, absolutely, we need the milk. And so that supplied the milk. This is the way he lived. And there's countless times of the way he would do that. Somebody once asked him, George Mueller, how much time do you spend in prayer? His reply was this, hours every day. But I live in the spirit of prayer. 
prayer. I pray as I walk and when I lie down and when I arise. And the answers are always coming. That's what the Bible says, to pray without ceasing. This is not religious duty, even though it's okay to say this is the time I'm going to pray in the morning or afternoon or evening. It's, it's okay to have times, but it's, it's not a religious duty. It's, it's a relationship. And he, he just lived a prayer life in constant communication. This could, you, could be you quietly praying while you're on the sky train or even under your breath at work or loudly at home in your prayer closet, but it's this constant communication in prayer. After doing all this work on the orphanages, at the age of 70, he decided that he would want to be a missionary. 70, not 20, 70. He's done all this work. He says, and I love this story because sometimes people say, well, I'm this old. It's, it's, it's over. You know, I'm done. My career's finished. But at 70, for the next 17 years, George Mueller travels to 40-some countries, often speaking to crowds of over 5,000 people, and he's doing an amazing journey after 70. Man, you may be over 70 today and think, I've got to retire. It's over. There's no use for me. There's no purpose, no legacy to leave. You are so wrong. It doesn't matter what age you are. God has a plan and purpose, legacy for you to leave. And he went on to do great things after the age of 70. One time he's coming from during this season of his life, he's coming to Canada. He's coming to Quebec. He's going to come speak in Quebec. And they're near Newfoundland, and this incredible fog rolls in, and the ship has to slow right down. And he goes out and he meets the captain on the deck, and he tells the captain, he says, you know what, captain, I, I really need to get going because I have an appointment Saturday afternoon, and I'm never late for my appointment, so we need to be there by Saturday afternoon. This is this preacher telling the captain when he needs to be at a certain place. And the captain uh, related the story in his journal. And he spoke to George Mueller, and he said, it is impossible. I said, do you know how dense the fog is? No, George replied. My eye is not on the density of the fog, but on the living God who controls every circumstance of life. I have never broken an engagement in 57 years. Let's go down to the chart room and pray. He knelt down and prayed one of the most simplest prayers. When he had finished, I was going to pray, but he put his hand on my shoulder and told me not to pray. As you do not believe, he will answer, and as I believe he has, there is no need for you, whatever, for you to pray about it. <laughs> in other words, since you don't believe, just shut up. I've already prayed. God's in control. I looked at him, and George Mueller said, Captain, I have known my Lord for 57 years, and there's never been a single day when I failed to get an audience with the king. Get up, Captain, open the door, and you'll find the fog has gone. I got up, and the fog indeed was gone, and on that Saturday afternoon, George Mueller kept his promised engagement. George Mueller, a man of prayer. One of the reasons I like reading about guys like George Mueller, because it inspires me to pray. I got a lot to learn about prayer, but you read about them, and you wow, I want to be a man of prayer. This needs to be spoken to this generation. We start our year off by saying, let's empower the next generation. Our generation knows something about Tron, something about Harry Potter, something about uh, Superman, Spider-Man, and all kinds of heroes. But folks, there are real-life heroes heroes of faith from the not-too-distant past that did amazing things, that if we'll take time to read their books, read their stories, you'll be inspired with not some pseudo-fake, made-up power. You can be inspired with real, 
life, living power that changes things instead of being substituting it with some cotton candy visual effect. You can have real thing working in your life. Wow. Our world's hungry for power. Somebody just paid over about $700,000 for the first edition of Spider-Man comic. Last year, somebody paid almost a million dollars for the first issue of 1938 Superman comic. We're, we're enamored with superpowers. Folks, we got superpower. It comes from God's living word, and it changes things in our lives. Wow. Just trying to stir you up to pray. Power. Acts 1.8. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you shall be my witnesses. The Word of God is quick, living, powerful than any two-edged sword. This power is available for us. I think sometimes we have to just put down some other things. They may be good, but they're not the best. Just put them aside and say, I'm going to seek after God, His Word. Ah, love it. And it changes the effect of our prayer. Faith is a force, and like energy, it has a source. The source is God's Word. Hebrews 4.12, the Word of God is full of living power. Uh, been watching the news at all about Japan. You saw studies on these nuclear reactors, and I'm always amazed how in that little uh, reactor, so much power could be generated. But God's Word is full of living power, generates power through our prayers as we connect to it. Yeah. Number three, if you're in the notes at all, following along, number three, faith can be contaminated by fear. It's possible for us to be believing and have fear come in and contaminate it. There's a story in the book of Mark, chapter 5, Jairus is a very well-known religious leader. He comes to Jesus. Jesus has just returned from the other side of the Sea of Galilee. There's a crowd around him. As a religious leader, he pushes through the crowd in the mud and the gravel of the seashore of Galilee. He gets on his knees, and he pleads for the Lord to come to his house. He has one daughter, one child, a 12-year-old girl, and she is on the point of death. They don't have children's hospital. They don't have an emergency room like we do. And they're saying, to, he's saying to Jesus, please come quickly. My daughter's dying. Jesus sees his faith. And he says, yes, Jairus, I'm on my way. I'm coming with you. So we have Jesus. We have Jairus. We have the disciples. We have a crowd. They're walking along the seashore of Galilee. And all of a sudden, this woman pushes through. She's, by Levitical law, would have been even excommunicated. She had an issue with blood for 12 years. As old as Jairus' daughter was, 12, this woman for 12 years is sick. She took all her money. She spent it all on doctors, and she's no better for it. She's on her last hope, and she's heard about Jesus, that he heals. And in desperation, she reaches out, and she touches his garment. Jesus stops. He says, wait a minute. Somebody touched me. The disciples said, Lord, there's a lot of people touching you. We are in a crowd. What do you mean somebody touched me? He said, no, 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 energy left me. Power left me. See, when faith connects with Jesus, energy, power leaves. I'm not talking about some type of new age energy. I'm talking about literal power that leaves when we pray. Something left Jesus, and he said, who is it? They find her. We won't tell her story, really, but she gives a testimony. Meanwhile, there's Jairus, and he's like, 
I can just feel the tension. Come on, my daughter is dying. Let's go. I waited for you to cross the Sea of Galilee to get there. We got a crowd. It's taken a long time to get home. My daughter is dying. Lord, please hurry up. He's talking to this woman, ministering for her. No rush. Calm, relaxed as our Lord would be. Then he sees somebody from his house coming down the road. He looks in their eyes. It does not look good. And from a distance to say, Jairus, don't, don't trouble the master. Your daughter's dead. His daughter's dead, but also his hope is dead. Oh, you, you can see his posture change. At that point, we have this verse that's in your notes. Mark 5, 36, overhearing but ignoring what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, do not be seized with alarm and struck with fear, only keep on believing. Jairus had a choice to make. We have the same choice when we pray because there are times when our prayer isn't answered when we think it should be or when fear will try to move in and the circumstance seems great and we're wondering, God, where are you? At that point, Jesus says to us what he said to Jairus, don't fear, only believe. That means the choice is ours. We can make a choice to operate in faith, or we can make a choice to operate in fear. What we want to do is continue to be in faith, not fear. Even though it feels like it's delayed, keep your eyes on the Lord. They go to the house, and Jesus takes with him his disciples, James, Peter, and John. They go, they pray for the daughter, and the daughter is raised up. It's an amazing story. Fear can contaminate our faith. So be careful as you're believing not to let fear come in. Fear is eradicated when you keep focused on God's Word. Then number four, prayer brings a rest. Because despite what is seen, God is at work. Here's another quote from George Mueller. The beginning of anxiety is the end of faith. And the beginning of true faith is the end of anxiety. I'll read it one more time because it's not in your notes, but it's a really good quote. The beginning of anxiety, worrying, if you like, is the end of faith. And the beginning of true faith is the end of anxiety. Hebrews 4, verse 3, for only we who believe can enter the place of rest. 1 Peter 5, 7, Peter wrote this, casting the whole of your care, all your anxieties, all your worries, all your concerns, once and for all on him, for he cares for you affectionately and cares about you watchfully. To cast, to commit cares, means to transfer, means, and transfer means to trust. We probably all have a bank account, and when you went to the bank, you said to the teller, here is my money, I like to commit, I like to transfer my money into your care. As we sit here today, the bank's caring for our money, correct? And we're not thinking about it. We're not worried about it. You, I don't think we are. We're not thinking, oh, boy, I hope everything's okay over at the bank and hope everything's all right. No, we, we cast our care upon them because they're caring for those things right now. But if I went to the bank, down the street to the Royal Bank, I went to the Royal Bank, I say, excuse me, tell, I'd like to have my $1,000 back. I'm a little bit concerned about the way you're handling it. Can I have my money back? She says, okay, here's your money. You have your money back. So I take my $1,000 and I put it in my pocket. Who's got the $1,000? I got the $1,000, not the bank. And when we take those things back from the Lord, say, Lord, I know you had it, but I'd like to worry about it. Can I please have that back? And I'd like to worry about it for a bit. When you, when you worry about it, then you got it. 
And as long as you got it, he can't do anything with it. But when you commit it to him and say, Lord, I give you that care, I roll it upon you, he guards you. He watches over you. He watches over what you're worried about. Ah, Peter wrote this. Peter would, he's not just writing this, he's lived this. In Acts chapter 12, read that story when you go home. It's an amazing story. Acts chapter 12, because Peter's in prison. His best friend James got killed earlier. He's been in jail for a week. The next day, he's getting his head cut off. He already lost one of his friends. This is a guy he went fishing with. They hung out with Jesus together. They did life together. They were best of friends. He lost his friend. He's in a jail. He's in not just the county jail. He is in maximum security. The Bible tells us he's got 16 soldiers guarding him. He's sleeping between two soldiers, and he's chained up. And while he's there, and this is not the crowbar hotel that we have in Canada. This is a Roman jail, a stone floor, chained between two guards. The next day, your head's coming off. What would you and I be thinking about that night? You know what Peter's doing? It's there in your notes, Acts 12, verse 6. Then the time came for Herod to bring him out of jail, out for the kill. That night, even though shackled, by two, shackled to two soldiers, one on either side, Peter slept like a baby. And there were, no, there were guards at the door keeping their eyes on the place. Herod was taking no chances. He's sleeping. That's what I call casting your cares upon the Lord because he cares for you. Now, you'll have to read the rest of the story when you get home. An angel shows up, and it's an amazing story how he gets out of jail. He breaks out of jail that night, goes back to the home, Mark's mom's place, knocks on the door. It's a hilarious story because a girl comes to the door. Her name's Rhoda. Rhoda comes to the door, to the gate, and she says, who's there? And she says, Peter. And she freaks out because the church had been praying intensely for Peter to get out. And she runs back and she says, Peter's at the gate. They say, no, he's not. He's in jail. Yes, I heard him. He's at the gate. No, he's not. They're going to kill him tomorrow. This church has been praying, but you can see how human they are because they think he's still going to die. And they said, no, no, he's at the gate. Finally, they bring Peter in. Peter says, yes, yes, it's me. It's not a ghost. I really did get out of jail. I've got to tell you this story. And uh, you could take your time to read Acts 12 to find out how he got out of jail. It's amazing. Prayer has a rest. And lastly, prayer is really when we put our faith in God. And when we put our faith in God, we put our faith in love because he affectionately cares about us. We trust it. We're just saying, God, I trust your love. Thank you for listening to this podcast. If you'd like to download free notes from this message or find out more information about Pastor Dave Coop, then we invite you to visit our website at www.coastalchurch.org.